I want to try to deal with a some confusion, clear up some confusion tonight. The confusion about the false teaching that we hear on a regular basis, pretty regularly, it's actually a false teaching about the subject of forgiveness. Of all subjects to have something fault taught false about, it would think strange that it would be around the subject of forgiveness. It's going to require me to go back and do a little building on the area of David and Bathsheba and also Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But I'll try to build some background for you and then do the application so that you walk out of here clear of what the Bible says about forgiveness. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we pray that your hand be upon us. Uh, Lord God, you'd speak where I cannot. And Lord God, you'd do a good work in, in balanced Bible teaching, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in Numbers chapter 32-23, easy to remember. Numbers 32-23, because you transpose it. 32, transpose 32 is 23. So 32-23, Numbers. Talking about the children of Gad and Reuben wanted to stay on the west side of the Jordan River, and the rest of the children of Israel were going to go on the east side of the Jordan River and conquer the seven nations that were before them. The children of Israel had already conquered two nations on the west side of Jordan River and inhabited pretty much their land and had their, their cities were built, houses were built, uh, crops were planted, you know, their animals were there. And so it was a big deal. You could live in there. So the uh, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh decided that they wanted to stay on that side. Moses thought that they had decided to forsake the other tribes of Israel, and that would really be bad because they were, at this point, about 40 years getting to this place of going in. Kadesh Barnea, you know the failure they had there where the 10 spies came back and said, we're not able to take the land. It, it, uh, it insulted God after what they had seen and heard. And he caused those people, 20 years old and above, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and die before he let their children, 20 years and younger, go into the promised land and take it. He said, the children, as you said, would end up dying in the wilderness. I'm going to use them to take the land. And uh, you folks are not even going to see the land. Not even going to get, And Moses himself did not really get to see the land because of his transgression publicly. So to whom much is given, much is required. He learned that for sure by Moses. And Moses had, an, had the ear of God, you know that. <clears throat> and he could not convince God to change his mind on that. In fact, God said, I don't want to hear it anymore. Don't talk to me about it anymore. You're not going. Now, in case you feel bad about Moses, uh, he died and got to go to heaven. And he got to see whatever God wanted him to see at that point. But in the body, he was not going to be able to do that. So these two and a half tribes that wanted to stay on the one side of the west side of the Jordan River, uh, there was a misunderstanding. Really, there was. The other tribes thought that they were <clears throat> reneging 
on their commitment to go take those seven nations. And so those uh, other tribes were left were going to get together and attack their brethren, uh, basically, for their disobedience. So they found out it was, uh, it was a misunderstanding, which was a great thing. And uh, the principle... The principle stated here in Numbers chapter 32, 23, and where Moses said, but if you will not do so, if you'll not commit and keep your commitment to us, because they said, no, we're going to go over with you. All of our men of war are going to go over with you, but our wives and our children and our cattle and stuff are going to stay on the west side here of the Jordan. But the rest of us, all of us men, are going to go until all of the rest of the tribes have conquered the land enough to settle in it. And by the way, that was a, ended up being a five-year commitment. That was a big commitment. It's a big time, long time to stay away from your wife and your children and your cattle and everything there. And so they were committed for five years of being on the east side to conquer those seven nations, which that God let them do. And after they got done conquering, then Moses sent them with a blessing back to their, back to their children and their wives. And they took a lot of the spoil that they had gathered and took it over there also. So it ended well. But the warning principle is what I want to talk about here. He says, if you will not do what you basically said, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and this is the key, and be sure your sin will find you out. The greatest detective that uh, ever has been is sin. What you do in secret will be cried out from the housetops. No one gets by with anything. Every idle word a man speaks, give account of in that day. Every thought, every intent of the heart, every little jot or tittle of the law will, will be fulfilled. Our life is a life of accountability. Now, you, you, first of all, just, let's just lay that groundwork. The things done in secret. Everything you've ever done <clears throat> will be given account. The deeds done in your body, whether they be good or bad, will someday be given account of. Now, as a born-again Christian, you'll do that to... Beam a seed of Christ. That's where all Christians are judged. Why? Because their sins have been judged under the blood. They'll not be judged for their sins, but they'll be judged for what they did with the light they have received in their life as Christians. That's why it's important to be faithful. Jesus said, be faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Be faithful. Be faithful. Finish the course. Keep the faith. Don't quit just before you win. And so then I, that's where the principle was stated there when it was with those, with those tribes. And I want to also go and talk a little bit about David's sin. I know we rehearse this over and over again, and I think it's important too. It's maybe the clearest example. We see the same kind of scenario played out. Um, we see David caught up in lust, deception, murder, more deception, denial, misuse of his power and privilege. And uh, for you who do not know the story well, let me really quickly summarize it for you. David normally would have been out to war, but he had gotten kind of old, and the men of war didn't want him to go to war and be killed, so he stayed back at the city. He went out in the, in the evening, the very twilight part of the evening, and he looked down. Evidently, his house was the tallest one around. He looked down, he saw a woman bathing herself. He maybe had seen that before, I don't know. We do not know that. 
but he lusted on the woman. He sent his men to get her. Her name was Bathsheba. The thing about Bathsheba is she agreed to come. She could have screamed and yelled, which she should have in the city. You should scream and yell. Bathsheba was not raped. She was part of it. They have a consensual sex. She gets pregnant. David hears about her being pregnant. Her husband's away at war, Uriah. So David plots a way to get out of this. She's newly pregnant. Back then they didn't have, you know, these tests these women take today. So they couldn't tell and with accuracy how soon this thing had happened. So David says, call Uriah from the battlefront, have him come home with a message, and then I'm going to send him back to his house. He's going to have relations with his wife. The kid will end up, he'll think the kid's his, and everything will just be wonderful. Now, we're talking about the sweet psalmist of Israel. He knew better. He knew God wasn't going to let that pass. So his, he, God foiled his plan. Uriah ends up being a man of high character. He says, while the other people, the other warriors of the children of Israel are living in tents, I'm not going to my house and spend time with my woman. As long as they're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. That's a high, high-charactered guy. David gets the guy drunk. And he still don't go home. Eventually, David gives up on that and sends a message to Joab and says, Joab, take Uriah, put him to the place of the hottest battle, and then withdraw from him so that he is killed. Well, Job, Joab, if I should say, Joab was kind of a rascal himself. He murdered two guys, innocent, the two innocent men he murdered, so he was already a murderer. So he thought he just went ahead to do it for David. And, of course, gave back the message that Uriah was dead. As soon as Uriah had been declared dead, he allowed Bathsheba to have a little period of mourning. And right after the mourning, uh, he married her. As far as we know, there was no repentance, no admission of a crime, no remorse reported from either the king or Bathsheba in about a year. She proceeds to be pregnant and have a child. The baby's born. All is going normal. And a guy, a friend, a friend of David, Nathan, the prophet, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, hellfire damnation, King James Bible, walks in one day in the court. Now, the court is, he's got all these advisors there and the people that are closest to him, and here's the king, and he's, and he's, throwing, he's in the court, he's giving advice, making decisions, and Nathan walks in. Oh, Nathan, he's glad to see Nathan, because Nathan, who isn't glad to see their preacher? <clears throat> Those who have a guilty conscience, that's who's not. You, you've done something wrong, you don't want to see your preacher show up. So the preacher comes in, and, he's, and he tells his story about the rich man, you know the story. I mean, the rich man comes, and now the rich man's got a lot of little ewe lambs, but there's a poor man in that area that, had one ewe lamb, one little ewe lamb, and raised this little ewe lamb like a, like you people have dogs, man. I mean, raised this like a dog, you know, it's like a, a, like a child to him, you know. And I believe, I believe people today treat their dogs just like their children. And this man treated that little ewe lamb just like your child. And, and uh, this rich man has some company coming to town. He says, hey, we need something to eat. So he sent his service over and took that little ewe lamb from that poor guy. All he had was that one little ewe lamb. Now you should start getting mad. 
And David's sitting there listening to this, and he's getting mad. He's getting mad because he's a, not only he's a shepherd. He understands the, the beauty of the relationship between an animal and a human can be. And he and he told Nathan finishes the story. The Bible says in verse. 2 Samuel 12, 5, it says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said unto Nathan, as the Lord, and I got a feeling he said it, he said it loudly. He didn't say it like, as the Lord liveth. He says, the Lord liveth. The man that hath done this thing shall surely die. <clears throat> he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he had done this thing, because he had no pity. I think there was a little quiet, a little moment of quiet. And Nathan lifted up, as preachers do, they have this long bony finger. He lifted up his finger, pointed at David in front of his whole court, and said, Thou art the man. Don't preach if you don't have application. That's what they taught us at school. If you're not going to apply what you preach, don't, get, don't bother. And that was Nathan. Nathan had a little sermon he preached, but he applied it at the end. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, ooh, cut David to the heart. I took Uriah's only wife and killed him. Thou art the man. Now remember, David had already pronounced the judgment. The man's to die and to restore fourfold of what he took. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And basically told him, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. God had forgiveness. But David did not have what you call voluntary repentance. I wouldn't call what he had with voluntary repentance. When the preacher has to walk in and put the old fickle finger of fate on you and say, you're the man, and do a real convoluted illustration to get you to realize what you've done, and then says, you're the man in front of the crowd, and then you finally realize you've done it, that's not the kind of repentance you want to shoot for. But it is repentance. And all I can tell you from where you're in the story, David repented. To the place where God said, I'm not going to kill you. So he took some of the consequences of David's sin away from him, which was immediate death. He took that away from him. So God, in his forgiveness of David, did give up the death penalty which David, by the way, rightly should have paid and was under the law of Moses to pay. And God had mercy on him. That's what mercy is about. David confessed before those that he had publicly sinned. He said, I have sinned. But many prominent, there's confusion in this area of forgiveness. And I I've laid to work with David there a little bit, laid to work with Gad, and, and the tribes of that didn't want to go over. And now let me try to hopefully apply it for you. The confusion of forgiveness, as taught commonly today, many prominent Bible teachers 
with years of Bible study, by the way, and experience, claim great claim this thing called the Great Awakening or the Grace Awakening. They wrote a book a while back called The Grace Awakening, uh, and they said it was happening across America. And they see this Grace Awakening as a release from the folks that the average Christian seemed to be under oppression, oppression by, people they call legalists, otherwise called fundamentalists. Because they view forgiveness, these great awakening folks view forgiveness as total release. In essence, they, they say forgiveness is justification. Now, justification, if you study the doctrine of justification, it means simply that you're restored as if you had never sinned. You're cleansed as if you had never sinned. Uh, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin with his own blood. You say amen to that. Okay. That sacrifice was enough to forgive every sin ever committed. You say amen to that. Okay. When a sinner comes to Jesus and confesses his guilt and asks for Jesus to forgive him, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, washes away his sin and from that person. Is that correct? Okay. Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through the blood, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God does justify us by the grace of God. He does declare us not guilty, free from our sins. That is a positional declaration. But it is not practical declaration because we still have consequences for the sins that we've done in our body, whether they be good or bad. The, the sins that we've committed on this side of heaven, once forgiven, are forgiven. And the, the grace awakening would say they're forgiven with no consequences after repentance. That's basically a summation, if you want to say of the grace awakening. I've heard it taught in all kinds of different ways that when you get forgiven, your past is completely erased, far as the east is from the west, behind his back, never to be remembered. That, and those references, those four different places in the Bible, that positionally has happened. But practically, it has not happened yet. It has not happened yet. It's coming, called the adoption of sons. And I'll explain myself as I go down here a little bit more. So it was after Nathan pronounced a whole myriad of consequences that would last a lifetime and beyond on David, his children, his reputation, his future, that Nathan said, the Lord will put away your sin. But what he told David, you're forgiven, and you are, David, forgiven. And you are forgiven one of the consequences, which was sure death for what you did. But the price, the, the consequences of your sin are going to be paid in this life, David. And they're going to be serious. There's nowhere in the Bible where the consequences of sin once committed are eliminated after forgiveness of that sin is accomplished. Unless, 
as in the case of David, God chooses to make an exception to the rule. As the death penalty, he made an exception to the rule for David. But he sure did not make an exception to the consequences of David's sin. You know David's life. My, oh my. I just want to read that section. I just want to cry. I think of Amnon, his son, raping his sister Tamar. I think of, of, uh, I think of Absalom killing Amnon because he raped his sister. I think of, Am- of Absalom becoming a murderer because of that, being exiled out of the city for years, eventually being brought back just to try to take over his father's throne and driving David out of the city, humiliating him, his own son, going into going uh, Absalom going into ten uh, concubine of David before the whole city and the sun. See, God said, you've done this in secret, but I'm going to do it before the sun. The consequences of this sin is going to come out public. You've done it private as the king. You've used your power, but I am going to use my power to reveal this thing to everybody publicly so that they know what you did. You'll be embarrassed, and you're going to be shamed, and you're going to be humiliated by your sin. That was what God wanted. That's what God wanted for David. By the way, a friend of God, a man after God's own heart. Let me give some examples of consequences after forgiveness, after forgiveness. Those who have contracted sexually transmitted diseases, keep them after they get saved and after they repent of their sin. They keep them. Those who have uh, contracted HIV or AIDS before they got saved, they get saved, they get all their sins forgiven, they're washed as white as snow, but they still have HIV and AIDS or whichever one. In other words, they still have the consequences with them. All those who have lost a limb in, in, a, in a drunken stupor do not get their limb back on when they get saved and forgiven from all their sins. Those who have... Uh, Sexually abused children after repentance to not have those memories erased from their mind. David even said, my sins are ever before me. They still struggle with those things that they've done. Even though they're absolutely and totally forgiven positionally. But practically in this side of heaven, we pay in some degree for the sins we've committed. Those who are immoral in this life commit immorality. After they're forgiven, do not have those memories blotted out or the blot of immorality taken away. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, 33 says, But whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Now, Bible doesn't contradict Bible. It all fits together. And so, this grace awakening wants to tell you as a believer that when you get saved, everything's gone. And you have no consequence. You've been, you've been saved not only from the memory of sin, from the presence of sin, and from the consequences of sin, but that's not true. And in life, you know that's not true. And that's what causes so much disillusionment 
and disappointment and confusion in Christian circles when people get born from above. They still wrestle with the consequences of those sins uh, because there are. Paul called, man, Paul the apostle, maybe he was the greatest Christian that ever lived. He could have been. He could have been the finest Christian that ever lived. But he had persecuted the church of God. He had caused people to blaspheme God. He had put Christians to death. What did he call himself? As a born-again, forgiven, justified, sanctified, propitiated believer. I'm the chief of sinners. That's what he said. I am the chief of sinners. He, I can't, notice Paul kept calling up the past. He didn't try to erase it and pretend it didn't happen. He faced it. He faced as a believer. He used it to show the power of grace. He said, I'm less than the least of all the Gentiles. Is this grace given? I should preach unto the church. He, he said that, that not only was the chief of sinners, but he was an apostle, yes, but a stillborn. Born out of due season means to be stillborn. He was, he, he was yes, he was an apostle, but it was, it was just an act of mercy and grace of God. He never was puffed up about any of that. He said he had a thorn in the flesh from God his whole life because of the great amount of revelation he had received. He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. God had done a great and mighty work through him, but he never let him forget who he was or who he used to be, if I want to say it that way. And what did Paul do? He bragged on God's grace that even though he had done this horrible, these horrible things, which he never tried to deny, never tried to put in the background, in fact, he put them in the forefront, he was still forgiven and usable for the glory of God. In Acts chapter 9, verse 16, it says, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. After Paul had shamed all these people and done all of that, publicly relegating them to criminal status and martyred some folks, he had consequences. So in conclusion, I may say, do we have consequences for our sin? Yes, we do. Are they far-reaching consequences? Yes, they are. But the good news tonight is, and I'm not going to leave you there, the good news tonight is these consequences will stop at the Jordan River. You all know the Jordan River? That's just after death by the grace of God. The past memories of this life, the Bible says, will be wiped away. Revelation 21.4 God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That is not now. That is coming in the future. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Have you made some horrible mistakes in your life, some horrible sins in your life, done some horrible and willful acts against God? Are they before you every night, every day that you're in your mind? And you've been forgiven and you know you've been washed in the blood of Christ and cleansed from your sin? Yes, you have. And there will be a day by the grace of God when he completes that process both positionally and practically and they will no longer come into your mind. That will be a beautiful day. I don't even know how I'm going to act. I mean, just wow. But so what's the bottom line? Don't sin. Don't sin. 
See, some, for some Christians, this a grace awakening is almost a license to sin. They can go sin, and I had a kid, young man, tell me it was 27 years old, and he wanted to be immoral. And he says, uh, every about six months or so, he said he was he was a saved. He said he was saved. He says every six months or so, I go out and I'm immoral with a woman. He said, but Jesus will forgive me. I said, oh my brother, you don't know Bible Jesus. You don't know the Bible, Jesus. Woo, don't you tempt the Lord your God. Don't you put him on the test like that. Because the consequences of your sin on this life will stay with you like just like they did David. Uh, so, so what are we supposed to do? Flee from the appearance of evil, just like the Bible said. Don't taste of the horrible fruit of sin. Run from the strange woman, man, when she comes around, run. Run from the alcohol that circulates and the drugs that circulate around you. Men, run from the pornography that circulates on your phone and on your the filthy movies on your TV or uh, computer or phone. Run. Run! Even though you can be forgiven of those sins that I mentioned, yet there will be consequences. Harsh, heavy, tough consequences this side of heaven, which will end at the Jordan River by the grace of God. Hallelujah. It would have to, or, or, the, or you could never have a heaven. You could never have a place of total peace because those things would come on, continue to come up and disturb it. And so God's going to eventually take those away. But remember David, remember David, when you think of, of the teaching, or you hear some preacher get up there and say, hey, once you're saved, God's blood, his son, uh, the son's blood, uh, Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin, takes it away, and that's it. Don't ever mention it to me again. Don't ever say it. Well, that's not what Paul did. Paul kept it on the tip of his tongue. And said, I'm going, to con I'm going to use it by the grace of God to show how God saved me from such an awful life. Amen? If you were an alcoholic, tell people, I used to be an alcoholic, God saved me. If you were a drug addict, say, hey, I used to be a drug addict, God saved me. If you're a whoremonger, say, I used to be a whoremonger, but God saved me out of that. Uh, if you had, if you'd be addicted to pornography, say, I used to be addicted to pornography, but God saved me out of that. That gives glory to God. Now, you, you, you know you suffer the results of it. You know, when you, you turn a picture on and you look at it, you never get that out of your mind. I remember stuff that I looked at when I was 16 years old. I'm not going to ask you men to raise your hand. Well, those pictures still come across my mind. I'm 69 years old. And they come across as clear as the day I did it. You with me? And I don't want them to. But like David said, my sins ever before me, there's consequences to sin. That's what that is about. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's the principle on this side of the Jordan River. And I guess I just give you a heads up tonight as born-again Christians. I know this is a real simple message. But I give you a heads up. Don't you believe every preacher comes by and writes a book on, oh, 
These fundamental preachers just want to keep you under the bondage of sin. Are you kidding me? We are redeemed from the bondage of sin. We're redeemed from the ultimate consequences of sin. Someday we'll be with Christ, purest, whitest snow, positionally and practically. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a good deterrent to stay away when the devil comes by to tempt you. And don't be like that 27-year-old, egotistical, ignorant young man who thought he could go out and be immoral every six months and there really wasn't going to be much consequences for it because the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse him and forgive him. Maybe down the road. I looked at him and says, you'll be lucky to live to 30. I'm not God. And you can be thankful for that. Because there probably wouldn't be anybody left. But I said, son, if God lets you live to 30 years old with that kind of, with that kind of mind, I am shocked. By the way, he's alive still. I hope he got right about it. Father, thank you tonight for the few minutes we've had together. Thank you for the teaching of the Bible. Uh, we thank you for your forgiveness and for your washing in the blood. Oh, Father, Father, Abba, Father, may we understand the beauty of holiness. May we understand the purity of it. May, Lord God, you help us to flee from the appearance of evil because of the horrid consequences that they bring with them. Help us understand there's nothing, no sin out there that we participate in that doesn't have lasting, lifelong consequences. Help us, my Father, to turn away from them, to shun them, to cling under the old rugged cross. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.